You may be seated. There was a blogger on the East Coast who uh, wrote an article on their blog about how they went into a restaurant in the Boston area and were eavesdropping on the conversation that was taking place in the booth behind them. And it was a conversation between two supervisors in a local workplace, and the one supervisor was saying to the other, uh, he was complaining about one of the workers. And he said, this person just doesn't seem to do the job they're supposed to do. And the supervisor listening said, well, you know that person is a Christian, that they have character and they're, they, have, they live their lives by a certain level of morality. And the supervisor said, yeah, but I'm not looking for a saint. I'm looking for a good employee. And then the supervisor said that all familiar phrase, I don't want somebody who's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, someone who's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I, I don't think I ever really met such a person. I haven't met anyone that has such a clear, accurate picture of heaven from the Bible and at the same time be absolutely no earthly good. The two kind of go together that if you have this clear understanding of the scriptures about what heaven is like, if you live for eternity, it motivates you to live in this world in a way that will make a difference. We're in a series called Homesick for Heaven, and I want to make clear that the point of this series is not that we get this picture of heaven so we just sit around all day and do nothing and don't engage and think about what heaven's going to be like. It's not that we pull away from our earthly engagements and just kind of in a self-made monastery pull ourselves out. It's not even that we long for heaven and hate earth and that we do nothing but just wall ourselves in. The reason that we want to live homesick for heaven is twofold. First of all, there are many, many Christians who fear death. There are many, many Christians that are very uncertain about what happens at death. That's normal. I think we all have those thoughts and concerns from time to time. It's the great unknown. We can't talk to anybody who experienced it. There is this unknown that happens or an uncertainty that happens, but we can have knowledge about that through the scriptures of Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to have this series where we understand so that we can counteract the fear, counteract the uncertainty that we may have when it comes to death. The second reason we want to do this series and want to live our lives heavenly minded is captured in a phrase in our statement of faith. Our statement of faith is a collection of 10 points that we as a church part of the denomination called the Evangelical Free Church of America, we ascribe to these 10 points that we believe about life and God. And point number nine talks about when Jesus returns and he sets up his new heaven and the new earth. And it talks about why we should care about that or why we should think about that. And in uh, statement nine, it says this, we should think about it because this demands constant expectancy. 
And as our blessed hope, it's our hope that we hang on to knowing that Christ is going to return. But as our blessed hope, this motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. See, being heavenly minded doesn't take you away from earth. Being heavenly minded and thinking of eternity engages you with earth, knowing that this opportunity that we have on this earth is very, very short. And we should make the most of it. Knowing Christ is going to come soon and set up a new heaven and a new earth motivates us to godly living, to live in a way that honors God. When we know he's coming back, it should motivate in us this desire to say, I should care about the things of God in a way that it makes a difference in my life and walk those out. Knowing he's going to come back again should motivate us to sacrificial service where we serve one another like Jesus Christ did, placing other people's needs above our own. Knowing he's coming back should motivate us to an energetic mission, to a way that's excitement to carry out the things of God. That's why we want to be homesick for heaven. That's why we want to live in eternity. A church that is homesick for heaven is a, for, a force for heavenly good on earth. They're engaging in their homes, in their communities, in their world. They're taking the glorious message of the love of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ, his gospel, to dark and desperate places because they know the time is short. They're engaging in this glorious opportunity. Jesus didn't call us to sit outside and shelter ourselves from the world, but to engage it. There is a pastor and statesman and politician in the Netherlands in the mid-1800s named Abraham Kuyper. And he is known for this famous quote because he was all about engaging the world. And he said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Christ is sovereign over all. And when he comes again and sets up the new heaven and new earth, every square inch and every realm will fall under his rule and his reign. But Abraham Kuyper wrote that in a way that motivated him to engage the world that he lived in now. So please don't be deceived in thinking that when we talk about being homesick for heaven, we're talking about becoming people who pull away from our things of the world in a way that we live a lifestyle where we never engage where we are because that's not what we're talking about. Next week when we close this series, I'm going to talk more about the new heavens and the new earth that awaits us and again with the idea that will motivate us in this life. I'm also going to try to answer many of your questions. But what I want to do today is talk about how being homesick for heaven causes us to engage the world we live in today. How we live out Jesus' mission. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to look at the first four verses of Colossians. And I think this is going to help us connect this homesick vision for life on earth. So Colossians 3, chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. It reads this. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I, I don't know if there's a better picture. This is one of the most amazing pictures in Scripture of what the Christian life is. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I want to look at this verse, because this passage, because it has two commands and a promise. There's two commands and a promise. But before we get there, the first thing we see is a foundation that is laid in the very first verse. It says, if you have been raised with Christ... Meaning, if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, if you've become a follower of Jesus, if you said, I want to yield myself to you, I want to invite you in, I want to make you the Lord of my life, and I want to follow you all my days so that I'll be with you forever and eternity. If you made that decision, that's the foundation. The commands come after that. When you make that decision, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, in that moment, you are what the Bible says is are justified. You are declared righteous. Your sins are forgiven. And the righteousness of your, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is now applied to your life. And you stand before God perfect in the righteousness of Christ. The second thing that happens when you make that decision is the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life to help empower you to live for eternity on earth. Once that happens, once you give your life to Christ and those things happen, Paul now gives us two commands to continue in this place before we get to heaven what we are supposed to do. He gives us two commands. And there's two words that mark these commands in our scripture. The first one is seek and the second one is set. The first one is in verse 1 where it says, Seek the things above where Christ is seated. Or in other words, set your heart. The inner core of who you are as a person should be bound and tied to Jesus Christ and his purposes and his kingdom plan. This is not so much about the location of heaven that you're supposed to set and seek your uh, seek. Uh, your heart on. This is more the person of Christ and his kingdom purposes, what he stands for. This means that followers of Jesus Christ should bring heavenly direction into their earthly lives. We should be living in tune with the drumbeat of heaven as we live out these lives. In other words, we should center our lives on Jesus and his purpose for earth. There's this determination in a follower of Jesus to place their affections, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their ambitions, their aspirations to know Jesus Christ and care about his purposes in the here and now. He will be coming again to set up his earthly reign forever in the new heavens and the new earth. When he came as an infant, what we just celebrated during the Christmas season, when he came as an infant, when God came in the form of a human being, he began or inaugurated his kingdom rule. That's when it started. When he comes again, 
He will complete and fulfill his kingdom rule. And in the meantime where we live, we live in what theologians call the already but not yet. He already established it, but it's not yet completely fulfilled. That's why we have pain and suffering and sin in this life that we live because the story isn't done yet. When Christ comes again, that will be done with and he will set up his new heavens and new earth and reign forever and we as Christians will live there with him. We will live forever with Christ. But in the meantime, we live out his purposes here on earth. This text of scripture says that our hearts, the core of our lives, should be focused and centered on this. Jesus and his kingdom purpose. That's how we're supposed to live. There's another command in this passage, and that's in verse 2. It says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Just like the first command directs us to set our heart, our affections, our longings and desires. This command tells us to set our thinking, what we dwell on in our minds, what we entertain, what we take in. This command is saying that our primary thought and concentration should be on the things that are eternal, not this temporary world. This is not saying that the only thing we think about is heaven. In fact, contrary, this is saying the best way we do life on earth is to first focus our primary thinking on eternal things, Jesus and being with him forever. And then we are positioned well to live out this world. I think one of the attacks of the evil one, and we are at war in that already but not yet, we are in a a spiritual battle. One of the attacks of the devil, the evil one, is to get the church so caught up in the cares of this world. To get us so focused and concentrated on the things happening in the here and now that we live our lives not with our minds set on heaven. That we live our lives with our minds set on earth and in doing so drain out our passion to walk with God and carry out his purposes. We use all of our energy and focus in the here and now and then we never have the energy mindset or courage to do what God has called us to do in walking out our kingdom, his kingdom purposes here on earth. Once we get a heavenly mindset, once we set our minds on things above, then we can deal with earth in the proper perspective. After these two commands, there's a glorious promise that comes. We see this glorious promise in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What an amazing promise. This is saying That when Christ appears the second time, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, in that moment when Jesus comes back, you will have a glorified body. 
You will have a, an actual body. You'll be able to touch it and feel it, but it'll be glorified, meaning that you, that body will not be able to have any sickness. That body will not be able to have any sin in it. You'll have a sinless, glorified body reflecting what Jesus Christ has when he comes. We'll be transformed in a moment in living in the new heavens and the new earth with this glorified body. If we continue to walk out our relationship with God, seeking and setting, then we will be with Jesus for all eternity while living in the new heavens and the new earth. Do you know why we are to be homesick for heaven? Because when we become Christians, we become citizens of heaven. We have a transferring of where we live. When we become Christians, earth is no longer our home. Heaven is our home. The citizenship changes address. Paul says it this way, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body, that earthly body we have now, of our humble condition that's open to sin and sickness and disease into the likeness of his glorious body and by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That's what awaits us. This place where we live forever and ever in the new kingdom and the new earth with a new body and we'll live that way Forever and ever and ever, there will be no end to the new heavens and the new earth set up by Christ. Jesus longs for us to be with him. And on earth, in the meantime, it means the best thing we can do is set our hearts there and focus on his kingdom purposes here. That's how we live as citizens of heaven on earth. One day we will enjoy his rule and his reign forever. But in the meantime, the pathway to eternity is to seek the things of God in our hearts, to set our minds on the things of God above, and to walk out his kingdom purposes here on earth. One way to sum up this passage in Colossians is this. Life in this world is best lived if it's lived by a power beyond this world. Let me say that again. Life in this world is best lived if it's lived by a power beyond this world. See, we live in this world, but we're empowered beyond by this vision of eternity, this homesickness for heaven. This means our hearts are longing for Jesus and his purposes and our minds are concentrating on Jesus and his purposes. In 1801, at the age of 30, Ludwig von Beethoven complained about his diminishing hearing. From a distance, he said, I do not hear the high notes of the instruments or the high-pitched singers' voices. Harvard professor Arthur Brooks notes that Beethoven raged against this decline of his earthly body. To be able to hear his own playing, he banged on pianos so forcefully that he often left them broken and wrecked. By age of 45, he was completely deaf. He considered suicide but was held back by the force of moral rectitude, meaning that he knew God was the author of life 
and it was God's will when to take us to heaven and when not, and he should never, ever take that decision into his own hand. Cut off from the world of sound around him. At times he held a pencil in his mouth against the piano soundboard to feel the harmony of the chords. However, Beethoven produced the best music of his career, culminating in his incomparable Ninth Symphony, a composition so daringly new at the time, it reinvented classical music altogether while he was deaf. Brooks wrote, It seems a mystery that Beethoven became more original and brilliant as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ear. We as Christians live at our best when society's soundtrack is not ringing in our ear, dictating and leading us, but is causing us to live for Christ and his purposes. There are multiple lessons lurking in this tale of Beethoven's life. Most striking was the degree to which silence paradoxically allowed Beethoven to hear something new. As Christians, when our hearts are set on heaven, we hear something new. We hear the love of God for ourselves saying, you are my child whom I love. We hear the passion that Jesus has for this world that calls us to carry that out. We have a hunger for his word to grow and develop. We are constantly in this world connected to a humming online hive of mind that feels so urgent but really lacks. Sometimes there's a long-term advantage in removing society's soundtrack from our ears. As Beethoven so vividly demonstrates, we can't really hear ourselves until we are able to turn down the volume of earth. There is a gift that comes to the Christian when the world's noise is turned down less so that you hear the glorious sounds of heaven in your heart. That sounds great, but how do we really do that? See, we never want Crossview Church to be a place where we tell you all these things, but never walk alongside you and how to get there. How do we do that? How do we turn down the noise of our current society so that we can tune in our hearts to heaven. I want to suggest four habits that you should pick up to stay with Jesus now and forever. This is a time of year where people reevaluate their lives. They reset their lives. And spiritually seeking you are at a spot perhaps where you're wanting to put together some spiritual practices to guide you in 2022. And I want to help you out by giving you four habits that will help you turn down the noise of this society, turn up the volume of heaven, connecting yourself to Jesus Christ and staying with him. The first thing we have to always look at is the Bible. The Bible is God's word. It's the reflection. When God wanted us to know what he was like, he gave us a book and he said, here is what I'm like. It is his love letter to us. We are not to look at this just to get great theological information. We are to give our hearts to this, to gaze into it and be transformed by the power and the spirit of God. That's the purpose of the Bible. 
Not only do we want to read the Bible, we want the Bible to read us, to guide us, to lead us. There's lots of options as far as reading plans. You can do a reading plan to read through the Bible in a year. You can take a book at a time. You can do a slow roll, maybe three or four verses a day going over and over. There's lots of ways to interact with the scripture, but we must interact with the scripture in a way not to just get information, but to let it transform our hearts. And I'm going to give you more on how we do that in a second. Number two, prayer. Prayer is being with God. Conversing, yes, but a better C word is communing. Being in communion, I'm not talking about when we take uh, communion as the Lord's Supper. I'm talking about relational communion. When we commune and we're with God, that's this place of prayer. And sometimes it involves us speaking and talking to him. Sometimes it's just sitting in his presence to dial down the noise of earth. Prayer is finding our heart's true home. It is where homesickness for heaven is fueled. Prayer is also an act, a battle, while we live in the already but not yet. We battle for what is right through the power of prayer. It's how we engage with the things that are wrong in this world. And when we see something in the Bible, we go to prayer and we say, God, what do you want me to do with this? God, what about this should I pay attention to and give my heart to? We look at the Bible and we pray this back to God. We look at Colossians chapter 3, where in these verses, and it says in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. And then we engage into prayer and say, God, how do I do that? I don't know in this world of distraction, I'm constantly being pulled. How do I set my mind on you? I want to desperately do that. Will you help me? Give me the power. And our prayers in the Bible are kind of interlocked with one another, resulting in turning down the noise of this earth and pulling us deeper into the heart of God. Prayer is not just an action. It's a place that we live. It's a place, a home base to live out our lives. Number three, and the one I want to spend the most time on here is reflection. Reflection. We can read through our Bibles. We get the verse of the day and look at it and give three seconds to it and say, yeah, good. We could shoot up a prayer, God, help me today, and then just dive into our life. And if we create a habit of that, where it's just a fast, fast, quick glance, shoot a quick prayer, I guarantee you in this age, you will not grow spiritually mature if that's the extent of all you do to connect with God. There has to be a time where we stop and we reflect and we think, and we really, really look and seek at what we're reading here. And we allow it to move from our heads to our hearts. We allow it to drop. You've probably heard people say, I know that in my head, but I don't believe it in my heart. The way you make that transfer is through reflection. Times where you think through this and you look at it and you ask God to make this part of you. We need to practice noticing God. And when you see God in his word or you see him in your life, you stop and you notice. 
And you say, God, that's you. You're there. We need to practice staying with Jesus. Jesus comes and teaches us these great things, and then boom, we're on to the next thing. Boom, we're, no, 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 we need to stay with Jesus and what he taught us. The disciples stayed with him. And in our fast-paced, ever-distracted world, to grow spiritually now more than ever requires us to slow down and shut up. To enter into God's presence. One way we do that is through a practice called meditating on Scripture. Now, some people in the church, when they hear about meditation, the alarm bells go off and they get nervous. Let me explain something to you. Christian meditation is different than Eastern meditative practices. Eastern meditative practices, you empty your mind to achieve a peace. Christian meditation, you fill your mind with God's word. And what you're doing is you're allowing it to move from your head to your heart. You're allowing it to take root. And we are commanded by God's word to meditate on his word. God commands us to meditate on the Bible. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Think about it. Memorize it. Bring it up day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is in it. There's a connection between meditation and living the way God wants us to live. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will meditate on these precepts of scripture and think about your ways. And David said that when I meditate, I have more insight than all of my teachers. I have more wisdom than any human teaching when I meditate on scripture. Psalm 119 is probably the best source in the Bible that tells us how to apply scripture to our lives. And over 40 times, there's uh, nuances to meditate and think and reflect on scripture. J.I. Packer, the great theologian in his book, Knowing God, wrote this, Meditation is a lost art today. Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of this practice. One of the ways that we suffer by not doing this is we get so caught up in the here and the now and the noise of this world that even our times with God are shrunk into little fractions of somewhat fast-paced, lack of robust moments. And meditation is a practice that calls us back. This is so critical. I believe we will never grow into all God has for us in this earth in terms of spiritual maturity unless we have times of quiet reflection where we allow the Bible to take root, where we notice God in his word, where we stay with Jesus and what he's teaching us. We set our minds and our hearts on things above. As long as I'm senior pastor at Crossview, you're going to continually hear this cry from me here on out. Bible, prayer, reflection. Bible, prayer, reflection. Bible, 
prayer reflection. This is how you grow personally. These things, Bible prayer reflection. You may be saying, that's great. I hear about Bible meditation, but how do you do that? How do you meditate on the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. That was a joke. Second service never gets my jokes. Tonight, I'm offering a Zoom call at 6 o'clock. It was in the email. A link went out to the Zoom, a, Zoom a Zoom invitation. Went out at 6 o'clock from 6 to 6.30. You're welcome to join the Zoom call. I'm going to walk through the practice of how to meditate on the Bible. And whoever joins that Zoom call, we will meditate on Scripture together. There's a resource guide on our website under the resources tabs on Christian meditation. If you can't make the Zoom call, you can read that. But in the Zoom call, I'm going to go through that sheet, and then we're going to practice it together. If you didn't get the email and you're saying, I really want to do that, just email me. My ad email address is on the website, and probably like 15 minutes before the Zoom call, I'll send you the link. I'll reply to your email with the link in there, and then you can join, and we will practice this thing together called Bible meditation tonight at 6 o'clock. So if you're interested, please join. And even if you want to just sit and be a fly on the wall and watch, that's totally fine. Just if you have any interest, join, and we'll, we'll do that tonight. The final way we stay heavenly-minded is through community. God designed spiritual growth not just to be in the first three, Bible, prayer, and reflection, but the fourth way we grow is we gather around brothers and sisters in Christ and we grow together. Spiritual growth will be hindered if we're only doing it alone. We must gather, and it's important in this earthly life to travel together with brothers and sisters. And we have this amazing thing set up at Crossview Church where we do that, and that's called a life group. In our life groups, we do re reflection. We do Bible, we do prayer, and we do reflection. But the beautiful thing is we reflect together. We have moments where we reflect together on the sermon that took place on Sunday, and it causes this growth to take place. Today is a day to sign up for life groups. Our next session of life groups starts in two weeks, and we're going to be diving into the book of Revelation. What a great opportunity for you to grow spiritually, to come and learn from the book of Revelation, and then go into a life group during the week and reflect upon it. Let it move from your head to your heart. Let transformation take place. Spiritual growth is a battle. Growing spiritually starts with a resistance. There's days I wake up and I don't want to open this book and pray. I don't want to reflect and meditate. But I find when I push through that and I do it, I get it and I say, oh, that was so good. I needed that. But it always starts with a stiff arm. It always starts with a resistance. I was talking with the life group leaders this week, and we talked about how even in life groups, we get to that spot where it's an hour before life group starts. And even as the leaders, we're like, oh, the last thing I want to do tonight is do life group. But we push through, and we get to God's word, and we see other people in our church family, and we read the scriptures and we reflect, and when it's all done and we walk away, we said, that was so good. I needed that. 
See, on the front end, we don't know what we need and we stiff arm it. But when you push through, there's this glorious satisfaction that comes as you're transformed. And you may feel that about life groups today. You may say, I don't want to do this life group thing. And these crazy people across you keep talking about this. Push through that and get the reward on the other side. Sign-ups are today. You can see Kathy and Sarah at the table, and they'll help you. It could be one of the best things you do this year. Bible, prayer, reflection, community. These things will help you set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above, and become homesick for heaven. Right before Christmas, I took a trip to California to officiate a wedding of a family that used to come here to Crossview. And some moments before, the day before the rehearsal, when I got there, I had some free time. And so I went down to take a walk along the ocean beach. And I got to this beach and the person there was trying to sell me a membership to this park where I could come and walk all the time. And I wouldn't have to pay every time I do it. And I told them, I don't live here. I'm just visiting. We don't live on earth ultimately. This is not our home. We are just visiting and waiting for a new heaven and a new earth to live and reign with Christ. When you don't live somewhere and you're just visiting, you don't get attached too tightly to the things of this earth because your home is somewhere else. We are called to stay with Jesus and to carry out his kingdom mission in this world. But we do that with our hearts set on things above and our minds set on heavenly things. And we carry out God's purpose on earth as homesick for heaven kids. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, I ask that you would continue to cultivate and create in our hearts by your spirit this homesickness for the new heaven and the new earth where we will reign forever. It's so, so easy to be attached to the here and now. And so God, I ask that you do the work in our hearts to de-attach us. God, forgive us for the times that we've latched on to something that is so temporary, so not of you in this life where we live in a way that it affects our walk with you. We repent of ungodly attachments to this world and we ask for your forgiveness and we receive your forgiveness in this moment and we forgive ourselves and we ask that you would empower us to live in a way where our hearts and our minds are set on you. God, I ask as we begin a new year, you would give us an intentional plan of interacting with your word, interacting with you through prayer, taking the time to reflect and gathering with our brothers and sisters to continue in group-like reflection. God, help us to push through the resistance and get to soul satisfaction by your Holy Spirit. Create this work in us and bind our hearts to yours.
And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.